If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. You can also hold your thumb in Galatians 5. We're also going to uh, look at James 2. So if you want to kind of prepare yourself, we're going to be in those few places. But we're talking about the awe of God today. The awe, A-W-E, the awe of God. Because we're taking another kind of transition here. We're beginning our initial descent in the, in the book of Acts chapter 2, looking at the early church, looking at the first church, right? They made Jesus their Lord, repent, were baptized. They were filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. That caused them to do some things. They were devoted, right, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to what we're doing here, to the breaking of bread, communion, and the meals that they would have outside of gatherings together. And to the prayers, both public and private. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, that that resulted in something. And, it, and we see that it resulted in the fact that awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Awe, the fact that awe came upon every one that was there. Awe came upon everyone that was there, every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And we're going to talk about both of those things. But before we do, we got to talk about awe. What is it? Right? What is it? And the reality is that we are all, every person in the room, we are all in awe over something. Right? We're in awe over something. Right? We awe things, right? Some of us awe a lot of things. We awe relationships, right? We awe kids. We awe work. We awe money. We awe stuff, right? Many of us, we, we, not many of us, all of us have awe. What's awe? Right? This, 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 this amazement, expressing amazement, this awesomeness, right? But here's, here's where I think we struggle when it comes to people of awe. We talked about it a few weeks ago when we talked about how the church was devoted to these things, right? And the fact that the church was devoted meant that they were a focused people. Because the truth is, we can't be in awe of 20 things, right? We have an awe capacity. We can't be in awe of 20 things because what happens is when we try to be in awe of 20 things or try to give our hearts and give our passions to 20 different things, that's numbness that comes from trying to worship and be in awe of 20 things, right? And numbness is different than awe, right? Um, my question for you as we're kind of getting started with this, what, you, what gets your awe, right? What gets your awe? And if we could go around the room, we don't have time to go, well, we do have time, but we're not going to take the time to go around the room, right? I would say we have time. You would probably say, no, pal, got to keep it moving, right? Um, but if we were to go around the room, each one of us has probably got a different thing that we're in awe of, 
right? For me, I love God's creation. It screams like awe to me. Tuesday morning, wake up, go out, ice, ice on the trees and on the branches, the reminder that his mercies are new every morning. Some of you are like, nope, it's March. Tomorrow it's time to be done with ice, but I saw the beauty of the ice on Tuesday morning. Just beautiful. I got out to breakfast. I told the kids, look at the creation of God. His mercies are new every morning. It was awesome. Right? Friday, uh, I get the blessing. Um, when I drive home, I hit 114. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Right? You crest Fort Hill, and you can see on a clear day Mount Washington, boom, right in front of you. Kind of like this right here. Friday, it was so clear. We were doing some work at the church, and kids were helping out. And we were moving some stuff, and, and uh, driving home about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and clear, clear, clear day, and saw Mount Washington just right there. I was like, oh, kids, we're going to hike that this summer. Yeah! Micah was excited. The rest of them were like, yep, there went the awe right there, right and so we all see awe differently. Thanks, Dave. You can take that off. We all see awe differently. But Psalm 145, Psalm 145, verse 5 says this, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. The psalmist here is in awe. What's he in awe of? The splendor of the majesty of God, his greatness. And his wondrous works, the things that he did, the things that he created, the things that he saw in front of him. I will meditate. The psalmist was in awe. Um, I mentioned, you know, many of us experience awe in different ways. Some people find awe, right? Excitement, majesty, and that feeling that you get when you're about to jump out of an airplane. That was our brother Herb Perry, right? I mean, Herb Perry found awe, right? I'm pointing right here like he's sitting right here. <laughs> but, um, but, but Herb Perry found awe in jumping out of an airplane. He would go through a process, right? He would go through a process. He'd, he'd mohawk his hair. He'd, he'd paint it purple, right? He'd get ready to jump out of an airplane and go experience the awe of God, right? And I used to talk to Herb about this and think, man, that's a different level of awe, right? I mean, my awe, right, is standing at the base of a mountain, looking at the top of it and thinking, I'm about to tackle that mountain. And Herb was like, yeah, I can't do that anymore, right? And so you go climb your mountains, I'll go jump out of an airplane higher than your little puny mountain, right? And, and like, but, but, but so Herb and I, we experienced the same feeling, right, in different expressions. And that's okay, because some of us respond in awe, right? Like a train of awe just smacked you across the face and you sit there and you haven't changed your facial expression or body movement whatsoever. And you're like, oh, that's cool. That's nice. Right? And us expressive people are over here, right? They like to move around and get excited and maybe raise our hands, maybe even clap during worship. That's okay, by the way. Okay? It's okay. All right? The Baptist police aren't going to come and take you out of here if you clap during worship. All right? I promise. Matt Tibbetts, we got security. Okay? So 
So you're, you're fine to clap, okay? But right, others of us, right, that are expressive, we get excited, we might raise our voice from time to time because we're excited about the things of God. We look at you all boring people and we're like, what's wrong with you? Right? And you all boring people, sorry, not trying to be offensive, but let's just, I mean, you get in the picture, okay? You all, how should I say this? All still people, okay? That's better. That's, that's more inclusive, right? All still people, right? You look at us all passionate people that are, you know, being expressive, and you're like, yeah, that's fake. That's over the top. That's not real, right? And that's not true either, right? But what we got to embrace is the fact that we all express our awe differently. My question for us this morning is how are you experiencing awe? Are you experiencing awe? Are you experiencing awe? There's some facts about awe that we got to cover, right? They were in awe and they experienced signs and wonders that were being done through the apostles. But let's talk about some facts about awe. The first one is this, awe is everyone's lifelong pursuit. It's everyone's lifelong pursuit. We're all searching for awe. We're all trying to accomplish awe. We've got this picture in our mind of what awe looks like, and we're trying to get there. Whether that's through a Going RV TV show, and you're thinking, yep, we're going to get a Class C, and we're going to travel, and that's going to be our awe. Right? Or whether you're retiring to Florida and you're leaving the rest of us behind, bless your hearts, we'll pray for you maybe. But that's your awe, right? We all have this picture of awe and what that looks like, what that looks like for us, and we're all in that pursuit of what that awe is. So each and every one of us are in a lifelong pursuit of our awe. Okay, keep going. Second one, God created an awesome world. I mean, we've already talked about that a little bit, right? I mean, what gets my awe is creation. What gets my awe is creation. Love it. God created an awesome world. More, more about that in just a minute. Number three, God created you. Ready for this? This is, this is, this is going to get a few of you. God created you with an awe capacity. The 20 things. God created you with an all capacity, with an all capacity. Uh, number four, where you look for awe will shape the direction of your life. You can look for awe in pleasure and stuff, and that'll shape the direction of your life because you'll work yourself to death trying to accomplish those things, trying to purchase those things, trying to experience those things that are temporary, and then they'll, they'll, they'll out, and you'll have to get a new one, Right? We didn't do that in the first service, did we, Ian? That was new for this service. That was special. That was 1030 exclusive. Right there. But where you look for awe will shape the direction of your life. Where you look for awe will shape the direction of your life. Awe stimulates the greatest joys and deepest sorrows in us all. It stimulates the greatest joys and deepest sorrows in us all. Where do you experience your biggest moments of happiness, your darkest moments of sadness? Because it stimulates our greatest joys and our deepest sorrows. Next one, misplaced awe 
keeps us dissatisfied. Misplaced awe keeps us dissatisfied. Two more. Every created awe is meant to point you to the Creator. Every created awe is meant to point you to the Creator. So, two things I want to talk about here. Every created awe is meant to point you to the Creator. So the ice on the trees, the mountains, the, the, the ocean, right? The, the, all, all these different things. All of those are meant to point us back to the Creator who created those things for us to enjoy. Right? Meant to point us back to the Creator. Secondly, look around. The reason I, be, I believe Dr. Luke made it such a point that the early church devoted themselves to the fellowship is because every created person within the fellowship was meant to point you back to the Creator, not to drive you away. We were created to point each other back to the Creator of the universe. Why? To be in awe of Him. To worship Him. To, to place Him on the throne of our lives. That was the plan. That is the plan. So every created thing, every created being, was meant to point us back to the Creator. And, and, here's, and here's where, you know, every, everything breaks down from time to time, but then we have to question, does it really break down? Because I ask God often, it's coming into spring, right? I ask God often, spiders and snakes. All right? Two created things that we could have left out. Black flies, throw that in for good measure. Right? Three created things we could have completely left out. But you know what? They point me back to the creator in fear. Right? I mean, so, so it works. It works. I'll never forget. I was, everybody says, right? Because I'm a North Carolina boy. Everybody says, right, oh, we don't have snakes in New England. Liars. <laughs> I was on a pastor's retreat one time. And I was running on a trail during a break that we had. And this little snake, and, and I know, I know it's little, right? But, but I'm, I was taught, right? I was taught that it's the little ones you got to worry about, right? I mean, never mind. We're going to leave that right there. It's the little ones you have to worry about, right? The thing scurried right across the trail. I've never run a faster 5K, <laughs> ever. I sprinted back to the hotel, Right? It, it's, not, it's not documented, but I never, my watch was like, you set a personal record. You know why? Snake! But it's meant to point me back to the Creator. Right? All created things. Say all. Oh my word. Come on, 1030. I expect more out of you. Everybody say all. All created things are meant to point us back to the Creator. Why? To be in awe of Him. To be in awe of Him. To be in all of him, including each other. The last one. The last one. We've talked about this. We've covered this. But, we, but, but it's our last fact about all before we go back and study the church next two. Awesome stuff. You ready? Awesome stuff. Never satisfies. Never satisfies. Never satisfies. It doesn't. Never 
satisfies. Awesome stuff never satisfies. But yet many of us fall into the trap of looking for so much awe in places and things we're not intended to. We're not intended to. And that is why Dr. Luke, I believe, set this up the way he set this up. You as the individual, me as the individual, us as sons and daughters of God, place Jesus at his proper place in our life as Lord of our life, submitting to him, submitting to him, right? Repenting of sin, being baptized, outward expression of the inward change, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the preaching of the word of God in and outside of the church, devoting ourselves to the people of God that are meant to point us back to Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, devoting ourselves to the breaking of bread, the communion, to remember that we identify with Christ, right? And also breaking of bread in meals so that we can grow together, so that those created beings can continue to point us back to Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to the prayers, both public and private, so that, so that two things can happen. We see that first, this church in Acts 2.43 was an awe-inspired church. It was an awe-inspired church. All of those things happened. Lordship to prayer. Lordship to prayer. All those things happened. 3,000 were added to their number that day. All these things happened so that the awe of God could be first and foremost prominent before them. Let's go a little bit deeper with awe. This word phobos, P-H-O-B-O-S, phobos, is the Greek word for awe. And it's important for us to grasp because it refers to fear or holy terror related to the sense of divine presence, to the attitude of reverence. In short, worship. This fear, this holy fear that leads to an attitude of worship, attitude of reverence, it describes the feeling produced when one realizes God is at hand. So this phobos, this awe-inspired church, they realized that God was at hand. When, when we see the English word, it's where we get the English word phobia from. This term awe or fear, God's presence and power caused a holy atmosphere, and even unsaved people were aware of the sacredness of the time and place. The sacredness of the time and place. It describes the feeling produced when one realizes God is at hand. God is at hand. And the life of this first church, this first fellowship, was so genuine and spiritually powerful that every soul, whether inside or outside the church, kept feeling a sense of awe. But here's what we got to remember. They weren't awed by the church because of its buildings. They weren't awed by the church because of its programs, because it had a cool children's ministry or youth ministry or the size of its budget or reflecting any human ability. 
but by the supernatural character of its life. But by the supernatural character of the life of the church. Now, I want to spend some time here. Because you know why we don't talk about awe and signs and wonders very often? Because it, it can be a little uncomfortable. Right? I mean, people before us have taken this to kind of levels that probably border lines. Right? They're probably border lines. And we could go and we could, we could talk about different uh, quote-unquote revival movements that started out pure and turned impure, right? That started out pure, but then, but then the newness wore off, right? The freshness wore off, the excitement wore off, and instead of ending it, they turned it into a performance, and then it became something that wasn't of God, okay? And we've seen that happen. Right? We've seen that happen. I've seen it in Brownsville, Florida. I've seen it in Toronto. I've seen, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Okay? And, and so, and so in, in, in the sense of comfort and, and, and trying not to stir the pot, we just avoid this sense of supernatural happenings within the body of Christ. And what happens when we avoid the supernatural in the body of Christ, we miss worship. Everything that happens here of any value is supernatural. Let me say that one more time. Because we got to make sure we get this. Whew. Everything that happens here of any value is supernatural. Case in point, I'm a human. Broken. Sinful. The fact that God would take any word that I say... And use it for His glory, His good, and your growth is a miracle. I'm not making much. I'm not trying to like lay down on the sword. I'm a broken sinner before God. And the fact that He... Stop nodding so profusely. The fact that He would take me over the last 10 years and do through me what He's done... I promise you, is a miracle of God. It is. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. The fact that this church exists, and I know some of you are probably sick of this story, but some of you need to be reminded of this story. Some of you that even walked through the process need to be reminded of this story. Summit Church is a supernatural miracle that shouldn't have happened in the eyes of man. Some of us didn't even want it to happen. I was seeing if Bruce and Mark would still nod but they stopped. But it's a supernatural miracle. You want one more? I'll give you one more. You. Every single one of you that is a child of God that has said yes to Jesus, even if you haven't yet and you're just sitting here today because whatever brought you here, you're a miracle. There is no greater miracle than the testimony of a person 
that has come to Christ, that said yes to Jesus. Oh, Travis, my testimony is boring. I wasn't into drugs or alcohol or anything like that. No, 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 no. The fact that a Savior went to the cross and died for you and you said yes to Him and submitted and gave your life to Him and repented of your sin and was baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that is a miracle. And hear me, and hear me, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks when we talk about the Lord added to their number daily, those that were being saved. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. That is a miracle that people need to hear. People need to hear your story. People need to hear the story of you, the miracle. They need to hear it. I love it. I love it when people, and this is free too. I love it when people tell me, Ian, that they're not called to preach. Listen, every single one of us is called to tell our story. And there's no better sermon than the miracle of your story. Just because you're not ready yet doesn't mean you're not called. And don't worry, I'll be knocking on your door soon enough. It was an awe-inspiring church. It was supernatural. It was supernatural. And we've got to become okay. Hear me, church. We've got to become okay, even if it's a little touchy, even if there's a lot of questions around it or a few questions or yada, yada, yada. It's not up to us because we're not the miracle worker. Remember, he's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. We've got to become okay with discussing, experiencing, and even inviting the supernatural among us. Because when we don't, because when we don't, it's just a show. It's just a show. It's a well-oiled machine that people show up to experience but they're not called to anything, they're not challenged with anything, and they get to walk away not experiencing the supernatural. And I don't know about you, but I don't want anything to do with that. I don't have time this side of eternity to give my life to empty things. Forgive me, but if you come here my prayer week after week as I drive through the Aroma Joe's drive through and get my 32 ounce coffee to make I was going to say make it through this but the coffee isn't what does that I'll be honest with you it's all in my head but my prayer for you every week that I, I drive to this place is God help us experience you nothing else Nothing else. My prayer week after week after week, God, take me out of the way that they may see you. Because I can't change you. I can't change you. But Jesus can. We must rely on the supernatural as his sons and daughters. Secondly, they saw signs and wonders. It was an awe-inspiring church. Awe came upon every soul. And then secondly, it was a miraculous church. It was an awe-inspiring church. It was a miraculous church. Look at verse 
43, the second part. All came upon every soul. Many signs, excuse me, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, why? Mostly here, okay, mostly in the Acts 2 church, the signs and wonders were being done in the apostles to prove that they were of God, to prove their validity. Signs and wonders were being done among the apostles to prove that these people were legit, okay, to bring validity to the body of Christ in the beginning, okay? But what we have to remember is that we're past the point of proofs, okay, although, although I believe God shows up and shows out often, right? But we're, we're kind of past that, the, the point of proofs, but the wonders and signs were designed to attract attention and point to spiritual truth. They were designed to attract attention and point to spiritual truth, and God still performs miracles in response to the prayers of his people. He still performs miracles in response to the prayers of his people. But here's something we got to deal with. Because God answers prayer. We talked about that last week. God still shows signs and wonders, works miracles in response to the prayers of people. But pastor, I've been praying for this for 10 years. And why hasn't blank? Pastor, I've been praying for this person to come to church with me, to come to Christ for 20 years. And why hasn't blank? Pastor, I've been praying for this marriage for years to be restored. And why hasn't God shown up? Pastor, I've been praying for my son or daughter. Pastor, I've been praying for a financial miracle. Pastor, I've been praying. Listen to me. I hear you. And I'll share a personal testimony in just a minute. But two things we've got to deal with before we even get to testimony. No matter how God responds to prayer, we've got to remember two things. Number one, he's God. No matter what, he's God. And when we said yes to Jesus, we said yes to submitting our lives to the authority and lordship of him. And so even when he doesn't answer the way we want him to, or when we want him to, or how we want him to, he's still God. He's still God. And secondly, he's still good. He's still good. He's God. And He's good. And we see this in Scripture. You want the best example of this in Scripture? Read the 40, 41 chapters in the book of Job. It might even be 42. But, but go, go read. Go spend this week and read the story of Job. Right? You want the Travis notes? Here you go. Satan was looking for someone to tempt. And so God says, here, Take my most spiritual, my most faithful person, Job, and have your way. And Job had cattle. Job had a bunch of kids, I think 10 kids, maybe, maybe even more, right? Bunch of stuff, uh, you know, all of it wiped away and remained faithful. Remained faithful. Because he still saw that God was God and he was good through it all. Eventually, God restored Job 
which isn't necessarily the story of everybody. But throughout the whole story, God was still God, and He was still good. There are parts of me... No. (laughs) I don't like sharing this story. Because I don't want you to think that I'm exploiting my own story. But here's, here's the deal. You know how I learned to pray? By praying for my two brothers. One for salvation my entire life. I've prayed. Two for healing. My brother Andy, a lot of you know, is in a wheelchair. He's 40-something. Six or seven, something. And uh, when he was two and a half years old, my mom was at a Bible study. Talk about adding spice to the story. My mom was at a Bible study, and Andy snuck out of the house of the Bible study to try to get his ball out of a construction ditch three feet deep of rainwater. And he reached too far for the ball, and he fell in. My mom found him floating face down in three feet deep of rainwater. He was reported dead on the way to the hospital, and they brought him back to what he is now, which is diagnosis as total brain damage, 45, 44, 45 years ago. So you do the math. I'm nowhere near that old, right? So I was born into a family affected by disability. I was born into a family of a kid in a wheelchair. And the prayer for me for so long was God, help Andy walk, right? I mean, you work miracles, God, make him walk. Or if you're not going to make him walk, at least, at least, can we hear him talk? Because he's screamed for the last three days, and we don't know if he's hungry. We don't know if he's in pain. We don't know if he's just being a pain in the neck. Like, we don't know what the answer is, and if he could talk, it would really help us out and make our lives a lot easier, and his a lot easier, because we might be able to meet his needs if we knew what he needed. And so... We prayed. I remember waking up and getting dressed and there being an evangelist in town and my mom being so excited on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a revival week because we were all going to this tent and there was this worship service and Andy was going to come home walking. And we came home. Event after event, service after service, prayer time after prayer time. People left the house after praying for this miracle, and nothing ever changed. And one day, God spoke to me, not audibly, but I saw it as clear as day, that God is accomplishing more through my brother's wheelchair and his inability to talk than he could if he could talk and walk. Case in point, I'm probably not here right now without the impact of Andy's life on mine. So you can either praise God or lament for that. But even in my brother's disability, he's good. And he never stopped being 
God. And so I understand empty prayer. I understand beating down the walls, beating down the door of God, saying, God, have you seen this yet? Have you seen what it's doing to my mother and father's marriage? Have you seen what it's doing and the anger that is causing my brother so that he won't come to you? Have you seen what this is causing? Will you please just heal him? You can do it. It would be as easy as this. You did it all throughout Scripture. You did it all throughout the Gospels. Just show up here. And him continually answering, no, I've got a better plan. I've got more in store for Andy than you could ask or imagine. My ways are not your ways, Travis. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth are my thoughts than your thoughts. And so in your finite mind, you think healing Andy is the best for the kingdom. But it's not. Are there still days that I kick and scream? Oh yeah. Especially the days when he's annoying. I can say that. He's my brother. But he's still God. And he's still good. And I've become okay. Even in the tears, it's just a victory as I confess it to you. I am okay with the fact that I will not have a verbal conversation with my brother this side of heaven. Because God wants to accomplish more through him as he is. He's God and he's good. Even when he says no or not yet, he's God and he's good. One of the biggest problems, and I'll say it that way, and I think I've been noted in this from this pulpit is saying this time after time, so this isn't going to come as any news to you. But I think one of the biggest issues we have as a culture is our issue of authority. And submission there too. It would do us well to really study what submission to authority looks like, and maybe we'll do that study sometime, but for the sake of time now, let me just say, that in the area of signs and wonders, we would do well to not avoid it. But to look for the miraculous and the supernatural even in the unanswered prayer. Or the answered prayer, but just the, prayer, the answered prayer that didn't go our way. We would do well. So Scripture gives us two portraits. Scripture gives us two portraits because what do we do with this? What do we do with this awe? In Galatians 5, Paul to the church at Galatia gives two portraits of how what controls your awe controls your living. And so how do we live in the awe of God? It's found in these two portraits. The first is found in Galatians 5, 19-21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we've got two portraits. Now last week I had Ian and Dylan come up to show you the dip and the curve, right, of prayer, right? So they brought these microphone stands in so that I didn't call them up and I would have these at my disposal to use so that they didn't have to come and stand up here, which I think is clever, okay? So we've got portrait one and portrait two, all right? So portrait one here is, is basically, you could title it, Awe Breaker, okay? And put Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now there's some things that we've got to recognize about the Awe Breaker, right? There's some things in here that we expect to see, Right? That we expect to see, that we'd say, yeah, of course. I mean, sexual morality, the idolatry, the sorcery, the, 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 the impurity, right? All, all the, the sensuality, all these things, right? We would expect to see these in there. But then you've got to look at uh, some other things that, that Paul includes here in the all breaker, in this portrait of the all breaker jealousy, fits of anger. Causing division, divisions, right? It's like Paul had a telescope where he could foresee into the church of 2021 and see some of the things that we're wrestling with in terms of stealing our all. But that's not the case. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. So the same things I said to you last week, the, 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 the devil's not creative, right? The same things that he was trying to, to steal the awe of God with back in the church at Galatia are the things that he's trying to steal the awe of God with today. There are some of us that are so divided, that are so um, 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 uh, misplaced in our all right now around so many things that has, that has completely stolen our joy. It's completely stolen our joy. And we've bought into this picture of the awe-breaker. Why? Because we've enthroned ourselves instead of God. The whole, the whole list of the awe-breaker in Galatians 5, 19-21 can be summed up in this. Self. Self. And we have placed ourselves and our comforts as more important and more valuable than placing God on the throne. And so instead of looking at all of this through the eyes of faith and through the eyes of Scripture and through the eyes of authority and through all of those things, we've looked at them through the eyes of how it makes us feel. And we wonder why we're not experiencing the awe of God. Awe has no bearing on your feelings. In fact, I would submit to you that if we're open to awe and placing God on His throne and looking for, for awe, we find it. We find it. When we stop and look at the trees, right? When we stop and look at the trees, when we stop and ask someone how they're doing, 
right? When we, when we stop and, 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 and have fellowship with another family and, 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 and say, listen, you know, we're, we're busy, we've got all this going on, but we're going to stop and make you a priority. What happens in that? Whew. The awe of God. The awe of God. Because we've taken ourselves off the throne and placed him back on the throne. And so this, this awe breaker, right? And we got, we, got, we got to look at it. We got to look at it. We simply can't live for ourselves and stay inside God's boundaries. We can't live in, in a greater awe of us than of God and live the way that God has designed us to live. And here's the point of this portrait. Because we are all sinners, you're welcome. This kind of living that we see here in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it's intuitive and it's natural for us. Have you ever lived a conflict-free week? You don't have kids. Do you ever get jealous of somebody? Have you ever struggled with desires? Have you ever brought strife into your life because you said or did something that was unloving or unkind? Listen, if we're honest, we would say, we'd have to say that this list describes every single one of us. Why? Because sin makes us all, all breakers. We all put ourselves in God's place. We enthrone ourselves. Galatians 5.22 But... I told you last week, I love whenever we see buttons in Scripture because chances are we've just seen a, a, a list of bad news or something like that, but there's the potential for a better way, right? There's a second portrait. I mean, sure, this is all intuitive. This is all natural for us. We're born sinners. We've got to remember that, right? So it's, it's going to be natural for us to want to enthrone ourselves and take God off the throne. All these things are going to be natural for us to, to please ourselves and not God. All these things are going to be natural for us, but there's a better way. There's a second portrait. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. That's the second portrait. Now, by show of hands, by show of hands, who likes the look of this portrait better? The the the, the all breaker. Right? Who who likes the who likes the look of the result of that better, the, the sensuality, the drunkenness, the, all, all that, right? Okay, who, who likes portrait number two better? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who likes the look of that portrait a little bit better? Sure, we all do. Well, of course. So how do we experience that? What holds all these beautiful qualities together? Love, joy, peace, patience. They all result for li from living for something bigger than you. It shows how a person is transformed when the motivational system of the heart begins to be ruled by all of God rather than all of self. The motivational system of the heart. Let me tell you something. I think you know by now 
I love my kids. Love my kids. Man, I love my kids. Got to watch them play in five basketball games yesterday, back to back to back to back to back. No better way to spend the rainy Saturday afternoon. It would have been nice if they'd have turned the heat on in the room, but that's, that's says what it is. My lifelong pursuit is not to put food on the table for my kids. That's not to make them happy. That's hard for me to say. Because I hope they are. I hope they're well fed. I hope they're happy. But the call of God for me and my kids is to love Him with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind and teach these things to my children. If I love God with everything in me, through me, He'll accomplish what He wants to accomplish with me as Father, Bria, Micah, Ezra, Vera. I want a great marriage. But my goal in my marriage cannot be just provider. It cannot be. It, it, can, it can't be that. But as I love my wife as Christ loves His church, He accomplishes His good through me in my marriage. You get the point. You get the point. The motivational system of my heart cannot be those things. But we come into the all of God when the motivational system of the heart is what was intended to be the glory of God. Nothing else. That I glorify God by providing for my family because scripture says one that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Right? I glorify God by being faithful. I glorify God by caring for my kids and teaching them the things of him. The motivational system of the heart has to be the glory of God, not our comforts, not our feelings. The motivational system of the heart has to be the glory of God. The worship team is going to come. And as they come, I want to point you back to Acts chapter 2 and talk about why this is important. Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 44. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Why is it important that we keep our awe in check and do things for the glory of God? Two reasons. They were together. They were together. 
They were together. Now, now, Dr. Luke couldn't have been talking about in this moment. He couldn't have been expressing in this moment that they were together in one physical location. But remember the size of the church. They were over 3,000 people at this point. If you've ever been to Israel and seen the gathering places of the time, there was not a room big enough for over 3,000 people to be together. And so what Dr. Luke is getting at here is that the result of having, having our awe and seeing the supernatural in the body of Christ is that we were all together. You know what that means? We're one army. And I don't know about you, but I can fight a battle a lot more effectively and a lot better and with a much better attitude when I know I'm fighting with some people. Amen? And there's a battle. There's a battle going on right now for your attention. There's a battle going on every Sunday morning. There's a battle going on right now for the, for the motive of your heart, for the motivational system of your heart. Listen, the demons, they understand the all of God. James 2.19, even the demons know and shudder at the name of Jesus. They get the all of God. They get it. So they want nothing more than to distract you from that. But Dr. Luke says, they were all together. They were all together. There's more to this fellowship thing that we're doing. There's more to this church thing than showing up on Sunday. We've got each other's six. We're together. We've got each other's backs in prayer and hitting our knees, rubbing our knees raw for each other. Listen, there's more to this than attending a Sunday morning performance. We're together. And because they were together, they had all things in common. Dr. Luke makes it a point to say they had all things in common, which no doubt meant, you know, they all liked the same music. They all had the same style. They all liked the same food, sports teams, sports, TV shows, entertainment. No. They had the right things in common. Not their opinions, not their opinions that at the end of the day, they're not even absolutes anyway. But they had the right things in common that stirred their awe. The motivational system of their heart was in common. The glory of God. The glory of God. I once heard a pastor say that we exist strictly and only for the glory of God. What changes in each and every one of us and how we do this and how we do life when we see that? That we exist only and solely for the glory of God. That means some things are pushed aside that don't matter. That means there's some things about you that may drive me bonkers, but I love you anyway. Because that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is the glory of God. Are we, are we, are we, are we searching and worshiping the glory of God? Are we enthroning ourselves and our preferences and our opinions and our wants and our feelings where God should be? What's the motivational system of your heart? Can I pray for you? So God, 
My prayer this morning is this, that each and every one of us would be motivated by your glory, by bringing you glory, by sharing your glory, your greatness. I mean, for those of us that don't know, your glory is defined as your greatness, who you are, what you've done. The fact that you desire us, you desire a relationship with us, the fact that you love us, the fact that you went through great lengths to be with us, the, the fact that you care about us, the fact that we're your beloved sons and daughters, the fact that we, as we're about to sing about, uh, the, 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 the fact that we're free, and the fact that it is for freedom, you set us free. God, we have so much to glory about. We have so much to be in all of. So God, I pray. God, first, I, I pray for those that are maybe hearing this for the first time. God, I pray that they would be stirred in such a way to give their lives to you to live for your glory and nothing else. God, I pray for those of us that especially over the last year, but it happened before that, where we've dethroned you and we've enthroned us. God, I pray that you restore the joy of our salvation, that we live for your glory. And as a result, you'd restore the awe. And God, I pray for those that are living for your glory this morning. They're all filled. God, I pray. I pray that they don't keep that to themselves. But God, I pray for ministers of awe to rise up in your church. God, that we would know always that in everything, no matter what, you're still God. You're still good. You're on the throne. And you love us. Remind us of that as we sing this song. Remind us of that as we go about our day, our week. Remind us of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray.